pastoral podcast where we discuss common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. I'm Mark. I'm Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And I'm Lena. Make sure that you guys are liking and sharing this with all of your friends and your family. Give us those five stars on iTunes if you listen on iTunes. That's really helpful for us. All right, so we're going to pick up and put to death this topic that got thrust upon us unwanted about Beth Moore and the role of women teaching, right? So right. we're going to, there's more we could say, but we're done. So <laughs> I mean, really, we're done. Uh, I didn't yeah. want to do this in the first place. Um, so we're going to talk about women teaching, and but behind that, basically, what, what do you do? Um, what do we do with that whole subject? Because um, all of this came out of the comment that John MacArthur made, uh, and it was done tongue-in-cheek but also a bit serious uh saying regarding beth moore go home and if you haven't heard the first two podcasts we've done on this um you really should listen because what we're going to say today assumes most definitely you heard the one before where we deal with uh, a specific passage in detail but what we've so far shown is that as much as there's a lot of supposed outrage and hurt over his comments The real reality is that there's very little substance to all of it, um, unless being offended in and of itself is a legitimate complaint. Um, It's not. Uh, We showed that Beth Moore is not quietly doing her own thing and suddenly being attacked or singled out. Rather, actually, it was her that made uh, public comments that were intentionally designed to be problematic. Um, the type of comments that require response, and that happened quite loudly within the Southern Baptist uh, circles. And then we showed how this whole thing is being cast in a false narrative that's often missed by the people watching. Um, And so too often the discussion becomes one about whether a woman can ever preach or if she can't pastor a church or preach on a Sunday morning service? When, when is it that she's not allowed to preach? Um, but that's not how the Bible discusses it. It's not how it dis- instructs us on the topic. It's it's far more broad than simply preaching. Yeah. Um, and then, so finally, we, we did last episode. Um, and I enjoyed that one for some, I just, because I think we were dealing with the text. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, the text. Um, so we dealt with the key passage, it's in First Timothy two eight through fifteen. Uh, we showed the context. We showed the logic of the Bible's prohibition, and that's what it is to teach and to have authority over men for women. Uh, very distinct actions, two of them. They are not allowed to exist for women in the context of the church. Um, and so this becomes so important for everyone who's listening. You need to listen when you're hearing other people write or talk about this on how is the narrative being portrayed in the various blogs or the memes, whatever it is that you're coming in contact uh, with. You know, Ask yourself, what's the starting point, the foundation of what the per- person is saying? Too often what it is is um, not clear statements. 
of, of commands and instructions, rather, invariably. I, in fact, I have yet to find an exception to this. You'll, you'll find them talking about, well, Deborah was an Old Testament judge. Yeah. Um, Miriam has a song in the Bible and that we would read or memorize. Um, or Priscilla was helping clarify the gospel with her husband to Apollos. And so, see, clearly we're allowed to do this. And right. they completely ignore the, the text that actually instructs us on what we can or cannot do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never the right way to develop theology, right. but it's yeah. very, very common. Yeah. And so behind all of that's this bigger question uh, that we can do an episode on for a different time. And that would be, how do we actually interpret or apply a narrative passage. I think that Which would be is kind super of, important. so important. Yeah. yeah, I think it's so be much fun. confusion comes as a result of that stuff. And and we've done we've kind of implied it or dealt with a little bit in our decision making uh, model right, that we right. taught. But you know, you got Gideon putting out a fleece to help him determine the will of God. So because that was in a story, should we do it? Is that proper? Um, or to ask it a different way, what authority for the Christian does a narrative passage have? Um, if there's no explicit command, how are we to treat that passage? How do we, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's that, that simple. So to give a simple but very uh, solid answer, it's always the passages that are actual instructions that are to carry the weight on how we live and we believe. It's that simple. It's super important for I've, even like the book of Acts. I'm really looking forward to whenever we go through that. So it's all narrative in there, you know, and one more sermon. One more sermon. One more sermon on elders and then the Christmas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it'll be Lord willing at the beginning new of the new year. That's when Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah. So now take all of that that I just said and apply it to the issue of women and teaching or being an authority over men in the church. And it actually becomes a very simple issue. Your beginning point is um, they can't teach or have authority over men. And you move and adjust outward from there. So that's your beginning point because that's explicit. Um, This is radically different than seeing Deborah as a judge or Priscilla helping explain the gospel and determine that somehow then the uh, the 1 Timothy 2 passage of the prohibition can't mean what it actually says. And so the only real big issue you must deal with is your reaction. Um, And that's where it becomes an issue of integrity. Are you going to be a man or woman of God who's going to submit yourself to what the Word says Mm -hmm. in spite of how you feel about it or what you personally believe or what your culture says or even what your pastor says? The Scripture is not hard to understand on that that issue. And we showed why. Um, And so that's that's the starting point. Yeah, yeah. So with... With that as introduction, um, the question before us then is what's involved in these two prohibitions to, to not teach or to exercise authority over men. And there, we showed last time there's, there is clear distinction between those two categories. Right. A lot of people right now are saying um, that it has to do with an authoritative kind of teaching that women aren't allowed to do. But Paul is, they're two different things. There's authority right. and then there's teachings. And so the question is, are, are there exceptions or caveats attached to them? <clears throat> so um, the prohibitions. Uh, in Super g- simple. Yeah. In, in general, anything that is teaching doctrine, theology, or Bible to men. That's it. You're not allowed. Yeah. Um, because as we showed that 
in all teaching, there's inherently built into that authority or right. authoritative aspect. Um, and so in, in general, anything that is, is placing a, a woman in a position of authority over a man in the church is prohibited. Um, so start there and, and likely you'll be fine. If you just, if, if you have that as the principle, uh, the moment you start fighting that or resisting that, you're likely going to end up in a bad place or in a place that's divergent from what Paul is clearly saying in that passage. So are there exceptions to this? And, and the answer is yes. Yes. But, but you have to approach them wisely and, and carefully. Um, the first one I'll, I'll do is, uh, is there's a general type of teaching uh, that just happens by her presence. Um, this, right. this is subtle, but just they need to hear me on this. Um, a woman instructs others in, in how she dresses and, and how, she, how she comports herself, her demeanor. Um, her life is shouting forth uh, either her faith or her unbelief. Um, and whether people realize or not, this is a lot more powerful than yeah. uh, they realize. Just how she conducts herself. Mm -hmm. the, the same is true of a man, but, I mean, you've seen them. They're slouched. They're, they're acting brazenly. They're loud and obnoxious. They being man or woman. And, and you begin to lose respect, or they become a distraction, whatever it is. And that's what Paul was getting into is not having braided hair with mm -hmm. gold and pearls mm -hmm. and all that, dressed modestly, um, is that there is, a, there is information being communicated um, and people are learning yeah. uh, just by how you handle yourself. So that would be one way that there's an exception. Yeah. A second is, is there's a, there is a type of teaching that comes in the shared worship of the church. Um, in Colossians 3, 16, I believe, it speaks of the relationship of, of being under the written word of God and and that the outflow of that is is teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so there's this horizontal teaching that takes place when you're doing these things. Um, there, there's a shared instruction in corporate singing, um, which, by the way, tells us that our songs should be theologically rich and, and true so that they can instruct us rightly. So on a Sunday morning when you're gathered and you're thinking about it rightly, mm -hmm. you should be hearing the saints' voices as instruction into your life as they sing truth and theology right, to right. you, and then as you sing it to them. That's why we sing along a lot of songs that aren't even, some, a lot of our songs aren't even singing to God or sometimes even an attribute of God but actually each other and talking about the church and the like just how it manifests itself. Yeah. Which is, I think probably weird for people that come in our doors singing those kinds of. Right. But hymns. it's biblical, right? So right. sing to one another Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, so we would say a man or a woman simply mumbling through a song instructs those around them in a very poor manner, especially parents to their children. So much so, um, right there. Yeah, you're, you're bespeaking that which you value and that which is worthy of, of your voice. But, but those who, who embrace it as they ought, they do teach a lot and are actually affirming truth in song. Yeah, and so that's an actual form of teaching. The, right. the term is actually used there. And so, again, don't discount the power of, of just corporate worship and participating in those things. Um, uh, the, a third type is a type of teaching that's very home-centered, and this is going to be a predominant one. Um, Paul talks about how Timothy was raised by a believing mother and grandmother. Um, his father was an unbelieving uh, um, Gentile. Mm -hmm. um, and so in chapter 1 of Second Timothy, um, 
he talks about that. Then he picks that up in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, and he says that by the words of these women, uh, he learned the sacred writings that ultimately led him to a saving faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I mean that's just more precious than um, having some big teaching ministry um, that you're traveling around the world, you got book deals. This is dealing with your young adult years um, with the precious souls that God's granted you instead of seeing them as an encumbrance to what you really are called to do or right. you're gifted or whatever is the excuse you're using. The woman is uh, is taking on a biblical mindset of, uh, I am the one who gives life. I am the life giver through childbirth, and, and it's my job to then nurture those children in the faith and mm-hmm. to teach them and instruct them. That's huge. It looks so shameful to the world around us, but that's what God calls us to. And and I can testify <laughs> that with my own wife. Um my children would be able to say that they grew up watching their mother uh, be a woman of prayer. Um, they always saw her with her Bible nearby or actively reading it. Um, and everything, they they joke about it, and, and when they were young, they would kind of roll their eyes. But everything, I mean everything, was framed by her through the Word of God. And so you would hear, and um, my kids will laugh about this, uh, the often repeated phrase, fast and first, but it's built on the biblical idea of, of obedience and that mm-hmm. we expect you obey like you should be obeying God. So you want to do things fast and first, or she'd sing a song on being patient. Um, do you guys know that song? I won't sing it for you, but be patient, be patient, don't be in such a hurry. No. Remember, remember that God is patient too. So whenever you, the kids would get angry with each other, hmm. she'd start singing the song, and you'd watch them. They'd stop, roll their eyes. She's like, "Come on, sing!" And pretty soon, they're all smiling and they're all singing the song. <laughs> but she's instructing them: "Look, God is patient with you, and you need to be patient with each other." Um, and then she also quoted. Verses like do all things without grumbling or sweetness of speech and graces uh, persuasiveness. Um, this is never something she offloaded to somebody else to do. This was her task, and she owned it with all of her yeah. heart. And the fruit is is evident. Um, and so this also pre- uh, prepares the woman for her older years. Right. Yeah. In in Titus chapter two verses three through five. Um, it says, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Mm-hmm. And so, again, no- notice here how the role of the older women is not to finally throw off her restrictions and explore her so-called freedoms. Rather, she's to take all that she's applied and learned in her younger years and now turn it toward the younger women in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so this means they're to be godly in their lives. Their their speech is controlled. Their drinking is not excessive and they are to be teachers of good. Um, and so this, this is speaking of teaching right behavior. Right. So it's a very specific subset of teaching. It's not just... Now I'm going to get into some deep theological discussion. Right, right. Yeah, she's not. Yeah, um, she doesn't now become a theologian. Rather, she becomes a, a person who instructs on how theology is to look and to be practiced and lived out. 
Um, and why? Well, Paul gives a result statement um, marked out by that phrase, so that. He says, so that they can encourage the younger women to love their husbands. Um, and so that, that there's emphasizing an affection for the husbands because young husbands are not good at being husbands or your term. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> and they mean well, they just, young, yeah. young men are idiots. Don't know a lot, yeah. Um, but, but also that, that she can have affections for her, her children because they're her children. Um, but it goes on, it says, so that they can learn from her, um, you know, not the doctrine or theology of things like hypostatic union or whatever the fancy stuff is, or how to overcome strongholds, um, but how to be pure and keepers of their homes and to mm -hmm. be in submission to their own husbands. And that's his point there. Um, and then he goes on, for what purpose? So it's a very rich passage. Oh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of keeps a, building. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah, a very logical yeah. one. Yeah. You, so... So that, so that, yeah, so that. Yeah. Um, so then he gives that that purpose, that final purpose, so that, and this is the ultimate reason, God's word would not be dishonored. And that's absolute key in this passage. Yeah. Somehow a Christian woman who is not in submission to her own husband, according to Paul, brings dishonor to the scriptures, to the Bible, mm -hmm. to the word of God. Um, somehow not taking care of her household is dishonoring to God's word. Yeah. Uh, in other words, a woman is able to instruct all who watch about how she views God and his word simply by her relationships toward her children, toward her husband and the state of her own home and life. And again, that that's completely countercultural. When you listen yeah. to how people talk, it's like, so you just want, if you want to really take John's statement, go home. Um, they yeah. say that's treating her in a derogatory, misogynistic manner. Paul would have been, actually, that's where she should be. Yeah, and yeah. now that she's an older woman, what she should be doing is gathering younger women around her that she might instruct them on what that looks like and how to do that. But that's not what goes on. Right. And so, yeah, very, very home-centered. I remember in uh, that book, Even Exile by Becca Merkel, she made a really good point, I'm pretty sure, where she talked about, and she was specifically talking about this First Timothy passage, and how, you know, it is the man's role to give the words on a Sunday morning and to preach, but it's the woman's role to compound the glory of those words and, and apply them in her home. Mm. And just what a wonderful, amazing gift that is to make those words actual actions for yeah. the sake of the gospel. Like, yeah. it's amazing. It's such a gift. Well, and then it becomes almost a, a double... I don't know, double impact. You've got the preaching forth and the instruction of the word uh, by the men, and then the women are receiving that with an yeah. entirely submissive, quiet <laughs> demeanor, um, and then bringing that back into the home, and then now we're going to bring that into application to our children. Right. Uh, and they're going to see this reflect in our life. That's far more rich yeah. Yeah. than going through yet one more Bible study where you listen and pay money, but... Nothing ever changes. Right. A godly home. Um, and how quickly families flourish in that. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, like, well, you've seen it, what, 20 some odd years. It's, you can tell families that are actually doing that versus families who just talk about doing that. Right. You know? uh, to this day, I don't know if all my uh, children do it, but I know that some of my daughters, when they hear a siren, they still pray. Mm -hmm. They still pray for whoever's been injured, uh, safety for the police, safety for the firefighter. I mean, it's just... You know, without my wife trying, well, it, she was trying, but I mean, without her realizing it, she was setting 
into motion something that would affect not just her children, but now her grandchildren. Yeah. Um, and it, it's yeah. it's such a simple oh, thing. Much better are. than your name in the lights on Wikipedia. You have generations yeah. following after you. Yeah. yeah. And so all of that, we, we can see that there becomes then a place to instruct women and children in the church as well. Uh, but these are to be done, again, with great care and under the oversight of the elders. You don't just decide you're going to start your own little thing. Um, at our church, Missio Day Fellowship, um, we move intentionally the young people into the main teaching service when they turn 12. Um, because at that point, biblically, they are now going to be considered an elder, uh, not an elder, an adult. And we want them to be now learning from men specifically. We even tried to, I think, I don't know if we have any women teaching that last Sunday school. I don't think so, no. Um, I think at one point we did have one, but now they're all men. And we've done that on purpose mm. because we want the kids to begin to transition in their yeah. mind, male and female alike, to look instinctively to the men of the church as their <laughs> teachers. It, it, it was something I, I remember the discussion and actually somewhat of an argument many, many years ago when we were beginning to make those decisions. It's like, no, um, this is why we're doing it. This is what we want. Um, we also don't re encourage at our church women's Bible studies. Um, it's not that we would prohibit it. We just don't encourage it. Um, they're not sinful as much as we want, again, the instruction to primarily come from the men, uh, preferably from the husband, right. uh, from fathers, and the pastors of the church. So uh, I think one person said, so I'm not allowed to listen to anybody else. And it's like, that's not the question. The question is, why do you feel you need to go listen to somebody else mm -hmm. than your own husband or your father or your pastor? What are they doing so poorly that they're not, right. you know, and, and most, most often um, a woman, if she's at a solid church, she's been given enough information on a Sunday to keep her busy all week long. And and that's not just her. That, that would be the man as well. If they actually were not merely acquiring knowledge, but they were going to be like James says, be a doer, doer of the word, yeah. not yeah. merely a hearer. Um, and the needs of a woman, you know, you'll hear this all the time. Well, I need, in fact, we had this way back when, when I was a young pastor and I, Without planning on doing it, I ended up taking over the women's Bible study. And so I'm teaching, teaching, and then when I came to the end of whatever I was teaching on, um, the lady who used to lead it had a secret ballot. Um, and she passed out these pieces of paper, and it said, I, she didn't realize how quickly I could read. So she passed it by thinking it went by my eyes without me knowing what it said, but I could read it. And it said, you know, I believe that women need to hear from other women, so not men. So I need your vote. Do we continue to have the pastor or do we have one of us teach? And then I, I, I won the vote, apparently. And so I just kept on teaching them. <laughs> But, it, but her thinking was so common. It's somehow, well, I'm a woman and I have unique needs and a man can't understand those needs. And so mm. we need a woman teaching. And it's like, no, the, the Bible would disagree with you. You don't have and unique needs. And that single needs. book written by a woman to no, women. So. No, and I mean, you, you carry a sin nature. Yeah. You, you are fallen. You are a, a child of grace. You know, the, the call is 
simply to to follow Christ. Um, there are application uh, toward good works that um, that's where the differences come in. What's it look like to do good works for a woman right. as opposed to a man? But when it comes to instruction of the, the word, word of God, it it's it's just right there. Yeah. So this also helps explain though the role of. Priscilla with her husband Aquila in Aquila in Acts 18. Yeah. Because, you know, we keep Ugh. hearing this discussion um, or argument, I should say. Um, so, for instance, Priscilla and Aquila, they, they were in the habit, apparently, we know this, of hosting traveling preachers and teachers during the, the beginning of the church. Um, in fact, they opened their home to Paul there in this, this passage. Um, now, what's important is nowhere is it mentioned to them being teachers. No. Right. Actually, they were tent makers. Yeah, we know that, and so it's Paul who's described specifically as then the one who goes out from there to teach. Yeah, he was just staying with them. Yeah, they were just while being he would then go into the mm-hmm. synagogue and do all of the stuff that Paul does. Right, right. Um, so later, as Paul moved on in his travels, they they go with him, which blows my mind. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to plant a church. All right, quit my job and let's go. Yeah. Um, Did they have children? Doesn't say. I doesn't know. say. It's like you think about all those details. Like yeah. Yeah, it blows you away, though. I mean, of course, I it might have been pretty darn cool to have Paul in your house. Yeah, and you're like, I'd like I'm to learn more from him. This, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So he he um he moves on, but they end up going with him. And then in chapter 18 and verse 19 of Acts, he actually separates from them, and they say back in Ephesus, and it was there in Ephesus that they meet Apollos, who was preaching. And so likely they what had, they had done is they had opened their home to him, but then realized he was not yet a believer. Mm. That's key though. He wasn't a Christian. And he, that's clear. Right. Right. Um, and, and so together now they start explaining or declaring to him the clarity of, of the gospel. And you could even go as far as, let's say I'm at my house and someone comes into my home and Lydia is sitting there, my wife, um, and I begin to instruct somebody. Well, historically, the way you would record that would be, you know, I went in and Matt and Liddy were instructing. And likely that's what's taking place here as well. So it's not saying that she is taking on this great teaching role and instructing this great preacher, Apollos, in anything. That's just not the way the narrative flows. So, but the, these kinds of things do help us understand what's really going on in this yeah, narrative. So the instruction at the very best is clarifying the gospel. Yeah. And there's nothing prohibited it the, the prohibition by Paul is you're not to teach nor to have authority over men and the context is within the church and Paulus wasn't even part of the church at this point right um, so having said all that we can we can bring this to a conclusion finally um, first it's worth noting that the primary description of the role of a woman is to be a doer of good works and ministry that's what she's called to uh, or that's what she's going to be judged by in her later years. Um, and I, what I mean by that is in First Timothy 5, he talks about the widow indeed, and she's to be put on the rolls only, and it has nothing to do with if she's led a successive women's ministry, um, had book sales or anything else. It's that she washed the feet of the saints, that yeah. she was hospitable, that she was right, faithful right. in her marriage. It's always doing these works centered around the home and doing works of mercy and service. Um, second thing, we would, uh, we would never encourage anyone to make a woman be their primary teacher 
or influence on biblical truth as an adult. Just it doesn't matter. There you might find somebody you really like listening to, but they cannot ever be that. So we, what we mean by this is there should be no reason for you to need to use K. Arthur's studies. They're actually usually quite uh, solid. K. Arthur is. Um, there's some problems, but. Uh, we would never encourage somebody to use Beth Moore or anyone else for your time and study. What we would instead instruct a person to do is arrange yourself both in your life and your attitude under the spiritual care of your husband, your father, and your pastors. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that simple. And if these are men who are faithful, then you have more than enough to keep you, as I already said, busy every yeah. week. Yeah. And if you're not too, if you aren't too busy, then perhaps it's because you're not busy doing the very things the scripture instructs you to do of loving your husband, caring for her, being a, uh, him, being a manager of the home, raising children in the word. There is, you're not lacking things to do when you embrace that. Right. And so, and so we really hope that this has been helpful. Um, we understand it's not culturally good, um, but that's the essence of our podcast, Faith and Fable. Yeah. Um, so think about these things. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Be busy with good works. Share the episode. Like and comment.